as Luke mentioned, we are in a series of worship, sermons on worship and what it means to worship. I had the privilege of talking about what uh, worship is and, and how it looks and what, what it uh, appears to be and what, how you play it out in the world. What is worship? And uh, last week, we took a turn towards a very specific focus on worship, Lord's Day worship, worship gatherings, worship services. What are we doing here? Uh, we talked a little bit about the command to worship, to gather in worship, Hebrews 10.25. Don't forsake the gathering of the saints. Don't forget, forsake the gathering of the people together for the purpose of worship. Uh, there's a lot of things that worship uh, is in this world. Uh, Luke uh, talked about elections and talked about uh, our families, talked about living in community with others. There's so many ways to pour out our worship, so many ways to express our worship. And here we gather today uh, for worship. Uh, the purpose of this gathering is to worship God Almighty, to glorify Him, to honor Him, to serve Him, to exalt Him, to bow before Him, to make much of Him. And we've done that so far in the different elements of the service. Uh, but we come to worship services sometimes with uh, maybe some, I don't know how you describe it, maybe confusion. Uh, we come with maybe we're not sure exactly what we're supposed to be doing or what, what's supposed to be happening or my, my way of uh, interacting with God. Uh, but first, first things first, um, you realize how sacred a moment this is, how special and how important this is because as the family of God gathers... The body of Christ gathers in all of its parts. The temple of the Holy Spirit is here. In other words, God, as His people, comes together brick by brick, come together as a holy temple, a tabernacle. The glory of God is here. The presence of God is here. And so worship for whatever else it could be or whatever else we think it is or however else it plays out in time and space, this is a sacred time because Lord God Almighty is present and we've come into His presence to meet with Him. But we ask questions. Uh, there's been several times over the years where people have come and uh, I've talked to them, I've visited them in their house and, and well, I thank you for that part of the service or that part, but why do we sing? Like some people, maybe in a certain uh, group of, of uh, churches, maybe they grew up in very little singing in their services. And you guys drive me crazy with all the singing. I don't know what's going on. Why do we sing? And other people come and they say, man, you need more singing. If only you'd sing more. If only be more worship. Why do you spend so much time preaching? I don't get the preaching thing. Or Lord's table or offering or, or greeting time. We have several people, like four or five people every Sunday that almost have heart attacks at greeting time because they have to talk to people. What's going on? So worship. I want to talk today specifically about preaching. What is this thing called preaching? Why do we do it? How come it's part of our worship services? Uh, it is a very consuming uh, subject for many people and also a very confusing subject for many people. So today, uh, is put on a teaching hat and a preaching hat. I don't know how I'm going to do it because I'm going to be teaching about preaching while I'm preaching. 
I'd like you to think about this element of worship and how you come to the table, how you come to the, the Lord's presence today and meet with Him in the preaching of the Word. Please open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. A famous passage. In some churches, this is preached quite often because of the passion of the preacher. Some of you perhaps have it memorized. Some this is new. May God bless the reading of his holy word. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Lord God Almighty, as we do open up this word and we do come to your holy book, we come to your holy teaching, we come to you and your word, we ask that you would speak, Lord, that we would hear, we'd understand, we'd apply, we'd live differently because of what you say. Bless you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Preaching is an emotional subject for some. Preaching is a challenging subject for some. Some people hate the preaching of God's Word. Some people love it. That's what they live for. People come to church for different, come to services such as this for different reasons, for different outcomes, different desires. I hope you came for preaching today. But more than that, I hope you came for worship today because preaching is a part of worship. Your understanding of preaching probably is uh, determined maybe by your background. Uh, maybe you, you didn't grow up in a church like I didn't grow up in a church, uh, so I was pretty ignorant about what preaching was. Um, maybe, maybe you grew up in a certain denomination, a certain style. Maybe you grew up going to Mass, and the, the homily was 10 minutes. And sometimes you understood it, and sometimes you didn't, but you did the homily. You walked through that time of the worship uh, obediently. Uh, other, other, others of you, you came to church uh, as a child or you grew up in places where the preaching was separate from the worship. Oh, we did the worship, we did the singing, we did the praise, and now we get to the Word. And some people uh, articulated it such like, okay, that was the, the, the entree or, or you know, that, that would be the entree, the big meal is the preaching and we had snacks beforehand or something like that. Different ways of thinking about preaching and, and, and songs. Uh, going together to different elements. Uh, preaching is, a, is, a, is a, a, an amazing task today in, in, in the sense that we're so uh, inundated with, with media, with technology, with, with our devices, and to have this strange thing happen where a guy stands up on stage and he, he 
gives a one-way speech, so to speak, and you're listening and sitting there for 40 minutes, you don't think you can do that. It's impossible, and then you do. And when the Spirit of God is moving, it's like, is it over already? D different experiences with preaching. There's, there's different preachers, different preaching styles out there. There's the evangelist whose passion is to bring people to Jesus Christ. And every Sunday, there's an altar call. And every Sunday, there's a zeal and a passion. Come to Jesus Christ for salvation. Right? Some preachers have a style as, as a pastor. Man, you don't hear the gospel very often, but you hear this compassion and this concern about Jesus healing you, about mending your wounds and mending your broken heart. And every, every, every part of the sermon is about healing and building you up. There's other preachers that are storytellers, right? They got great stories. I used, I used to love to listen to Chuck Swindoll on the radio when I was driving home from work. His stories were so incredible, inspiring and, and uplifting. Wow. And there's the, law, the lawgiver preacher <laughs> laying down the rules every Sunday. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. And there's the hellfire and brimstone preacher. Some of you grew up in that, and that scared you to death. All different styles of preaching going on. All different kinds of different sermons. There's inductive sermons and deductive sermons. There's, there's narrative sermons. There's evangelistic sermons. There's, there's uh, uh, sermons that are topical in nature, covering a certain topic. And then there's expository sermons. All different styles of sermons. Uh, a, sur a survey just recently came out. I was interested to look at it. Um, in some churches, the sermon lasts 10 minutes. Some churches, mainline churches, generally, they average about 20 minutes. Evangelical churches, Bible-believing churches, as you were, non-denominational churches, um, maybe the average time they, they counted up was 39 minutes. In black churches, the average preaching time was 54 minutes. There's all different kinds of pastors, all different kinds of sermons. There's talkback sermons. There's all different styles that bring into, into worship. What is preaching and why do we need it? What is it about? What does it entail? What does it accomplish? Why do we sit and listen? Why do we partake? Why do we come to hear a preacher? 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, both of these letters written to a young man named Timothy. He's young, he's often sick, and he's timid. He's afraid oftentimes of what he has been entrusted with. He's what we call an introvert. And nevertheless, he's been left in the city of Ephesus to do God's work. Paul had to leave. The apostle Paul had to leave, go to another place. He left Timothy there to take control of the church, to be that pastor, leader, that bishop, he, not only Ephesus, but it seems like some of the other churches in the area, Timothy was called to lead. And again, he's timid, he's shy, he's, he's, he's uh, sick oftentimes, he's, he's young. And the church is a mess you go home today and you read through 1 Timothy, all the things that were going on in Ephesus, magic uh, spells everywhere, witchcraft, uh, false uh, teachers in the church, and 
all kinds of religions outside of the church, a massive amount of idolatry, famous temples that people would come all, all over the world to partake in and indulge in in the sexual immorality of those temples. The things that happened were just ungodly, wicked. And Timothy, this, this young man, he's, he's charged with teaching the family of God how to be the family of God, how to conduct themselves as God's household, says in 1 Timothy. Uh, this book of this letter of 2 Timothy, um, Paul is ready to die. He thinks his, he's, he's at death's door. He's turning over the reins to Timothy. He's saying, man, it's time for you to lead. And the book, if you just want an outline of it, um, the first chapter is about guarding the gospel, guarding the word of God. The second chapter is about being willing to suffer for the gospel, about being willing to suffer for the word of God. The third chapter is about being faithful to the Word of God, being faithful to the gospel. The fourth chapter kind of starts out, and the emphasis is preach the gospel. Preach the Word of God. The, uh, the charge that he has is an immense one because it matters. It matters what happens with the church. It matters what happens to the community that the church is a part of. Uh, if there's no preaching, the church is in trouble. If there's no preaching, the community's in trouble. The charge, the solemn nature of the, the demand that Paul places, the, the burden that Paul places on Timothy is immense. If you look again at verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead. In other words, Paul says, in view, he's calling witnesses. He's saying, Timothy, I call the witness of Almighty God, the Father, and I call the witness of Jesus Christ, who's going to judge the living and the dead. In their presence, I solemnly charge you. No pressure. And then he says to Timothy, and by his appearing and his kingdom, it's, it's, it's a subtle, like almost a secondary thought, but it's a huge thought. In, in keeping with the coming of Jesus Christ, the coming of the king, when he comes back, in, in, in light of his coming, his appearing, in light of his coming kingdom. The kingdom of God shall be forever and ever and ever. And the people dwelling in the kingdom of God will be with God forever and ever and ever. In light of his appearing, the second coming of Christ, in the light of his kingdom, you got work to do. And he starts off the next sentence with preach the word. Preach the word. Preach the word. What is preaching? The word there for preach is herald. It's proclaim. It's announce. It's get the word out. It's, hey, do you see what ha what's happening right now? Hey, the soldiers are on the move. Hey, hey, get ready. Get busy. Get active. 
he says to Timothy, be ready. Now that, that's a word that means urgency. Be always ready. Be, be urgent. Be active. Get, get yourself stirred up. Get yourself engaged. Whether it's in season or out of season, it doesn't matter. Whether the time seems right for you or whether the time seems wrong to you, be ready. Be active. Be urgent to preach the word. Proclaim to announce, to herald. Uh, there's uh, different preachers around, and we're all reliant on the Holy Spirit. There's, man, there's, there's preachers out there that are incredible communicators. They can hold you spellbound for such a long time. Some, some preachers, they, they, they get your emotions riled up. They, they know how to poke, poke that button and twist that, that emotion and get you engaged. Preachers that can communicate so incredibly well. But I ask, what is a successful sermon? What does it mean to preach in a way that God is pleased? As, as Paul preached to Timothy, as he called Timothy out, as he urged Timothy to move and act and be a man of God in his day and his time, what do you think Paul thought would be a successful sermon? Uh, what would it look like? What it, would, it, would it entail? Would it mean large crowds coming? Would it mean a lot of people leaving happy and, and joyful? Would it mean just a lot of laughter, a lot of jokes? Uh, there are various uh, outcomes to sermons and various experiences that we have. I read the story of a preacher who, at the end of one of his sermons, he at the end of the day, he went back to the back, of the back of the room, back of the foyer, ready to shake hands as people were leaving. He shook several adult hands as they're going, a good sermon pastor, thanks for being here, uh, sir, you know, the interchange that often happens at the end of a service. And, and then there's this, this little seven-year-old boy, uh, son of one of the deacons who came up. And the, 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 the pastor said, well, good morning, Jonathan. He reached out his hand, and, and Jonathan reached out his hands, and they shook. And, and as he did that, the preacher felt something in Jonathan, Jonathan's palm. He took it back, and he looked at it, and Jonathan had given him, given him money. And, and what's this? And Jonathan, with, with a big smile, says, it's money. It's for you. And the preacher said, Jonathan, I, I don't want your money. No, I want you to have it. Please. Because my dad says, you're the poorest preacher we've ever had, and I want to help. Thanks. And thank you over the years, all of, all of you have given me money. It's just been, it's just been great. But what is a successful sermon? What, what, what is, you know, shaking hands and saying thank you, great sermon. What does that mean? What does that even entail? That you were entertained, that you laughed, that you... No. It all comes down to the content. Boy, there's some skillful... You turn on the cable television, and there's some skillful, skillful communicators out there that hold you spellbound. But are they preaching or are they just speaking? Are they motivational speakers only? get you riled up and get you moving in a certain direction. They have their place. But what is a 
biblical sermon, what is a Word of God sermon that Paul wanted Timothy to bring. And it's obvious by this simple phrase, the simple command, preach the Word. The Word. Preach the Word. If you go through the book of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, it's, it's, a, it's a massive, uh, 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 ongoing kind of uh, emphasis. It's the Word of Truth. It's the Gospel. It's, it's the, the, the Word of God. If you look up to me with me to verse 16 of chapter 3, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The man of God may be com completely complete, equipped for every good work. We believe that the preaching, the, the core of preaching, the preaching that God uses, the preaching that the Holy Spirit applies to life, the preaching that changes lives, is a word-based sermon. The Word of God. What, what, is, what is that? The, the Bible the Word of God, the Bible, all Scripture is God-breathed. Some of your translations say inspired. In other words, all that we have in the Word of God, it's not the, the man-made thoughts that are here. God used the personality of men. but it, It's not the inspiration that they had, like some composer or some, somebody that wrote a book one time. That's an inspired writing. No, it's, it's the words of God, that the very words that God wanted us to have, His very words came through the personality and the, the season of the author, the language of the author, and it became the Word of God. God's very words is what Paul wants Timothy to preach. That's the whole Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. Most of Timothy's preaching came from the Old Testament. The New Testament was in the process of being written. Preach the Word. Let me give you an example from the Old Testament. If you turn to Nehemiah chapter 8, Nehemiah chapter 8, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, one of those books that maybe you haven't read in a while. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. Let me give you an example of an expository sermon, a word-based sermon. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. This is verse 1, chapter 8 of Nehemiah. They told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. So it was a lot of people spoke Aramaic and the scriptures were in Hebrew. So uh, it, it had to be translated. He, he, he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for this purpose. Beside him stood a bunch of names. <laughs> Verse 5, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. For he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, so be it, so be it. Lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord, their faces to the ground. And all of those people, the Levites, 
Levitical priests, the Levites, uh, uh, they helped the, the, the Levites that would set aside for God's worship. They helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And so they opened up the book of, of the law, and they stood there for hours, and it was expounded to them. It, it was, it, they, they read it, and then it was explained to them in ways they could understand. The, the, there was a bunch of these Levites that were saying, and here's what it means, do you understand? Here's what the Word of God says, do you understand? And as you, as you go on, they, they make vows in response. They're weeping and they're crying over what they're hearing because they're hearing God speak to them through the preachers, through the interpreters, through the message givers. And they changed their life. They had come back from exile. They'd come back and they, they'd kept some sinful patterns and habits. When they heard the word of God preached, God's standards, God's desires, God's heart, they responded with a life change of their own. And you can... Go home and you can read the book of Nehemiah to get more out of that. The New Testament, another example of, of uh, preaching the word in a different context, in a different setting, in a synagogue. Uh, Acts uh, chapter Luke, Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, please. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. <clears throat> Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Synagogue worship services often went like this. There was the reading of the word. They would chant or they'd sing psalms from the Old Testament. Then there'd be a time of prayer. And then there, there might be, if someone was willing to, there'd be a sermon or a homily given. Chapter 4, verse 16 of Luke. And he, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And uh, so the, the reading took place, and then they expected this famous son of Nazareth to speak on it. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, they began to say, and he began, so here's just a snippet of what his sermon was. He began to say to them, today in the scripture has been fulfilled. This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Wow, what a great moment that would have been over the next half hour, the next hour as he preached. I hear him unpack the Old Testament, unpack that scripture, and I'm the one that's fulfilling this. Uh, that, that's preaching, taking the word of God, reading the word of God expounding the Word of God, making sense of the Word of God, applying it to the people. And you know that He called them to repent. He called them to come into alignment with God. Preaching calls people to change their lives. It's a powerful and a, an amazing thing. I, I call you to understand, though, today that when Timothy is asked to preach, when he's commanded to preach, you realize that's part and parcel of our calling as well. It's not just for the pastor teacher that gets a pulpit. Many of you don't have a pulpit like this. You could take this one home if you want and just do it at home. Set it on the street corner or something in front of your house. Try it. It's a magical pulpit. It's not. It's not. We pulled it out of the kids' building. 
It's a, it's a piece of wood. It's not very attractive. But you understand that this, doesn't, this isn't a mantle. This isn't something that's you know, blessed with somebody. We're all called to preach as Jesus Christ followers. We've all been sent with a message. Some preaching takes place in places such as this, in a worship gathering. Other preaching takes place in hallways of buildings that you work in or in family situations or on street corners, different places around the world. Jesus' command, it goes beyond just uh, Paul to Timothy and the people that Timothy recalled, was called to train. It, call, it comes to all of us. Luke 24, Luke 24, verse 45. Again, Jesus talking to the men who had become leaders of the church. Luke 24, verse 45. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed, should be preached in His name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you've clothed with, clothed with power from on high. So the day of Pentecost came, they were clothed with power from on high, and now everybody that comes to Jesus Christ has that same power, the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. We've all been given the mandate, we've all been given the mission to make Jesus known, to explain how this great God from heaven, he was a judge, he, his wrath was being poured out on people, <clears throat> and he decided to save people. He decided to save people with his own two hands. <clears throat> so he became incarnate, he became a man, he came from heaven to earth, he came to live a perfect life, a godly life, a holy life. He came to the, go to the cross. He came to die on that cross, shed His blood, to turn away the wrath of God, to see people forgiven of their sins. He became an atoning sacrifice, a propitiatory sacrifice, covering our sins by His blood, turning away the wrath of God against us by taking it all Himself. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. The Son came and He took your guilt. He took your shame. He took your condemnation upon Himself. He take, took the wrath of God that was directed towards your sins to save you, that you might be forgiven of your sins, that you might be justified in Jesus Christ, declared righteous in the sight of God by the righteousness of Jesus Christ that He earned on the cross and He credited to your account when you trusted in Him. And you had faith in Him. And we are called to take that message, us poor beggars, us receivers of grace, receivers of mercy, those who have been saved by faith in Jesus Christ, saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. We're called to take this message and share it with others. Talk about it with others. Proclaim it to others. Preach it to others. Because the world needs to know. The world needs to know that there is a Savior who has come to save them. If they would believe in Him, if they trust in Him, if they put their faith in Him, they could be, they would be, they will be saved. So we hear this message of Paul to Timothy, and we're called to respond 
We're called to go. We're called to speak. We're called to preach. Preach the word. And we ask what value it could be. And of course, I've just delineated that a little bit. I've explained a little bit what it means. Uh, if you look at Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10, verse 14. It's a rather convicting verse, whether you have a pulpit or not. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? Certainly that's not just to the Pauls and the Timothys. That's a word to us. There are hundreds of millions of people around the world, yea, maybe billions, that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hundreds of millions that don't even know who Jesus is. Even in our country today, there are kids, there are young people running around that have no understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done, what he's accomplished, that he's the savior of the world. All they know about Jesus is, is, is a cuss word. May it not be. May it not be. Peter talks about uh, the power of the Word of God this way. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. Since you have been born again, made alive, come to life, alive to God, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, something that lasts, something that's forever, through what? Through the living and abiding Word of God. Uh, there's preachers out there that have great insight, multiple degrees. You know, they, they, they know human psychology. They know uh, what issues people face. They, they can tap into things so easily. But the Word of God is where power is. Word of God is where truth is. The Word of God is, is what changes lives because it's the very words of God. And so as we come to a service such as this, what we call a worship service, we gather in the presence of Almighty God. The glory of God is here in a, in a unique way. And I'd say to you who are watching at home, if you can come to a worship service, whether our church or another church, go to a worship service because it's different being alone. Where two or three are gathered, there I am with them, Jesus says. And so when a congregation comes like this, you know that God is working, God is present, God is speaking Individually to that person and individually to that person. And, and there's just something powerful and present. Not only is our corporate witness telling the world as they're driving by that the people are there for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is here and he's doing work upon his people. That's why we're commanded to do these acts of service, these worship services. Because God knows it's important for us and for the world. But Peter says, you have been born again through what? People, are, their lives are changed through what? Through the living and abiding Word of God. See, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It goes down deep, dividing joint and marrow, meaning it's convicting. It has this power of, of convicting people of their sin, of their wickedness, or their evil. It has this power to open people's eyes to what they need and their distance from God and their sinful habits. Uh, it, it's powerful. 
Um, so outside the church, but inside the church, we need the Word of God. We need it in different forms. Uh, hopefully, when we talk about singing in a few weeks, you'll hear it in the, the lyrics of the songs. Well, we're going to talk about how that plays out. Uh, it comes through the table. It comes through different elements of our service. But the Word of God is, is, is central in so many ways. Um, it's, a, it's effective to edify us. Jesus, in, in, I'll just turn there. Um, um, John 17, 17 says this, uh, Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Uh, God matures his people through the preaching of the word. God changes people. There's justification where you come, you're given a righteous standing, you're forgiven. Then God grows people up. He sanctifies them through his word. It's invaluable to the church for our, our transformation, our growth, our health, our healing. So many things are, are part and parcel of the living word of God. But notice in 2 Timothy, notice in 2 Timothy the importance that Paul places on it in the context of where uh, Timothy is in Ephesus. Look at verse 3 with me, chapter 4, verse 3. And maybe you'll recognize something in our day, in our time, and why we need preaching today. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears... They'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. We'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfilling your ministry. If you go back a little bit farther, turn to chapter 3, verse 1. But understand this, the Apostle Paul, as he's getting ready to die, as he's getting ready to head to glory, he says, understand this, that in the last days there'll be sometimes... There will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. So there's 18 or 19 characteristics there. And then if you keep going, there's more. So in the world around us, even today, we, we could point out uh, evidences that this is happening today. Different pictures of what's going on today. It's undeniable what you see around us. Now, we've been in the last days for 2,000 years now. So it's hard to say exactly when the last times are coming. But the last times are coming. It ends when Jesus Christ comes back. But Paul here says in the wider culture, there's this brokenness. There's this love of self, this love of money, all these, these heinous ways of living going on. Not lovers of God. And then in the church, in verses 3 through 5, he says, you know, there's, there's, there's going to come a time where people don't want to hear the word of God. They don't want to hear sound doctrine. They don't want to hear uh, apostles teaching. Uh, what they're going to do when they, they get to that point, it's, you know, it says that they're, they're going to get tired of it. They're going to surround themselves. And it's interesting, they're going to accumulate for themselves, um, accumulate for themselves teachers. 
Now, in the, back in the day, I didn't know how that would happen. Like, if you live in a, in a village or, or if you live in Ephesus, there's not so many teachers around. But today, how easy is it to accumulate preachers uh, via the Internet? All the people that we want to hear, all the people that will tell us what we want to hear. You know, itching ears is this idea that, man, I, I want to be tickled. I want to be entertained. I, I want to be grabbed a hold of. I want to be I want something exciting. I'm tired of the, old, the, the good old way. I'm tired of the gospel. I'm tired of the, the truth. I, I want to find something that's exciting and enticing. And so it's so easy to surround ourselves with false teaching today. We need preaching, the Word of God preached. Uh, people are going to go to their own passions. They're going to turn away from listening to the truth and wander into false religion, into myths. And typically myths and idolatry... There's no accountability. There's no surrender as there is in Christianity. There's no bowing the knee. There's there's no surrender to Jesus Christ. Myths and idols, you know, idolatry is exciting and and it it happens all the time because you control the idols. They're not in control of you. You use them and and you abuse them. You take what they give you. Sometimes you have to give them offerings or sometimes you have to give them time, but ultimately they serve you. The Lord God Almighty will not be used. He will, not be bow, he will not bow down to you. He demands your allegiance. He demands your accountability. And some people don't want anything to do with that, so they abandon the Lord God Almighty. So the preaching of the Word comes to us in a worship service. The heralding, the proclamation, the announcing, the, as, as, as Paul says here, he says, with complete patience and teaching. And I find that interesting. What's the difference between preaching and teaching? It's never really explained in the Bible. There's a lot of overlap. But usually preachers, they come to you persuasively. Man, you got to preach. you got to share the Word. you got to love people enough to bring them to the point of turning to God. you got to love them enough to get them off that track because that track is a way of death. you got to get them off that path. And how do you do that? You bring the Word of God to them. You know... Living that way, I know the world does it, but that's going to kill you. The Word of God says preachers, they often come passionately and persuasively to turn people around. But teaching is more, it's, more, it's tighter, it's, it's more articulate, it's more line by line, letter one, letter two, letter three kind of thing. There's place for both as long as the Word of God is central. With Paul, he says, man, the world, the people around you, maybe some of your own people in your church, they're going to drift away from wanting God. They're going to drift away from seeking God's truth. They're going to leave the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Timothy, you've got to preach. Timothy, you've got to get the word to him. Timothy, you've got to bring him to God's truth. They so badly need it. So who is going to preach? I'm blessed to have a pulpit. I'm blessed that God commands us to gather, and you gather faithfully to Him to meet with Him. But if it's just me who's preaching, we're in trouble. So Timothys, we need more Timothys. We need more people going out. We need more people who, are, who know they're sent to preach the Word of God, and that's you. That's us corporately together, but individually. 
going to the hither and yon, going to that place and that place to bring the word of God. Some of you are using social media very well today. God calls us to preach because the world needs it. The world needs the truth. And the church is always tempted to wander. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the, leave the God I love. Take my heart, Lord, take and seal it for thy courts above. We need the word. And so worship, gathering for worship, why preach? Because we get in worship to encounter God. We get to hear from God, and, and preaching is a vehicle to hear God's word. Preaching is the facilitator of worship because worship is a response to who God is and what He's done. Worship is always a response to His Word. And so they go hand in hand. It's all worship. For it originates with Him. He gives us the gift of His Word and we get to respond to the living God with our very lives. I, I, if my teacher side of me wants to ask someone to raise their hand and ask a question. But because I'm preaching now, we're going to stand and we're going to call the, the service to an end. <laughs> Please rise with me. Let's, uh, would, would you, uh, let's, let's praise God for all that He is and all that He does. And uh, as we sing the doxology together, let's uh, just praise Him for His Word in our hearts, for His presence, for His working in our community and in our lives. Sing the doxology with me. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above.